So let's pray and dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask now as you go, we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. May we be encouraged. May we be strengthened. May we be exhorted. May we even be rebuked if necessary. I pray that you would use the, your word to conform us more into the image of our Savior. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So, I'm going to give you a little background, catch you guys up. I know there's some people here who haven't been here, uh, been coming on Thursday nights. So, First and Second Chronicles were letters that were written to the Jews who were returning from Babylonian captivity, where they'd been for 70 years, coming to re-inhabit Jerusalem, and they were given a history lesson. First Chronicles dealt with the reign of King David. Second Chronicles began with the reign of King Solomon. As we've been looking through these kingdoms, remember that they are split in two at this point. The 10 northern kingdoms are called Israel. The two southern kingdoms, Judah and Benjamin, where Jerusalem is, is called Judah. And what we have seen, if you've been traveling through the kings with us for the last year or so, we've seen that every king in Israel, after they were divided, has been evil. And then we've seen that some of the kings in Judah are wicked and evil, and some of them have been good and godly kings. So tonight we're going to continue looking at a man by the name of King Hezekiah. And I love this guy. As I said the last couple of weeks, I can't wait to have a Coca-Cola with him in heaven or something. But Hezekiah, his background was his father is King Ahaz. King Ahaz, you could argue, was the most wicked of all the kings in the history of Judah. What did his dad do? His dad uh, reestablished the worship of false idols. He led to greater moral depravity throughout Judah. He started human sacrifices to these false gods, including his own children. He then shut up the temple, closed down worship to the true and living God, and then literally built idols and altars everywhere in the, in the land of Judah that you could possibly think of. It says down in the low, beneath the trees and up in the high places, everywhere you went. So King Ahaz was a wicked man, an evil man, a vile man, an ungodly man, and then he dies. Now, his son, Hezekiah, takes over. And praise God, it's not like father, like son. Because you would almost expect that if he had watched his dad, he would have had such a horrible example that we would expect him to be ungodly as well. And when he takes over as king, the Assyrians are mounting up on the northern border. They've already run over Israel and they're coming for Judah. He's also got a city that is filled with idolatry, sexual depravity, immorality. He's also got idol worship everywhere. He's 25 years old. He's the new king. And what is he going to do first? Well, if you were here, we know what he did. Hezekiah, first things first, was he wanted to make God the priority again in Judah. So the first thing he did was reopen the temple. And then he spent 17 days with an army of people removing all the garbage. They had literally turned the temple into a garbage heap. They had taken all the furnishings out and cut them into pieces. He restores all of the pieces. He puts the temple back together. He brings in... Uh, brings priests back. We'll talk about this tonight. The priests, because there's no temple, the priests had nowhere to serve. So there were no priests serving. The Levites weren't serving. God was not being glorified. So he rebuilds the temple in and of itself amazing enough, even as the enemy's breathing down his neck, even as immorality's running rampant. He wanted to make the priority of worship of the true and living God first thing that he did. And then secondly, what he did is he reestablished the Passover. Passover had not been observed, most believe, for over 200 years, since the time of David and Solomon. Why is Passover significant? There were three major feasts that the Jews observed. The Jews observed. There, was, there was Passover, who knows what else? Feast of Unleavened Bread, Feast of Tabernacles, okay? So these three feasts that took place, the Feast of 
the Passover feast was a reminder of their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt. And it was a reminder of the fact that they had once been in bondage before and God by his grace had delivered them. And if you remember, they went through all the plagues, but the one that delivered them was the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. And the angel of death would pass over if you applied the blood to your doorposts on both sides, the mantle and on the top. And it's a clear picture of the cross. And so what is he doing? He's reestablishing worship. Then they did the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread is seven days long. It begins with Passover. And what is leaven a picture of in the Bible? It's a picture of sin. So they're remembering the Passover, deliverance out of bondage, the picture of the cross. And then they spend an entire week. And when you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, people go to their home and they remove all the leaven out of their house. And it was a reminder to them that it, we're not only called to be born again for us to be new creations in Christ, we're also called to live holy lives. So they had given their lives, they're being reminded of their deliverance out of bondage in Egypt, a picture of the world, how God's hand was upon them, they'd been delivered, but they also needed to be reminded to live holy and set apart lives unto the Lord. Well, we saw during that time in the last couple of weeks, we saw that worship was reinstated. They were singing with loud voices and loud instruments. And they're praising Almighty God. And they were so blessed by what was taking place. And they had sent out runners up to all the way up to Israel that had been captive. But there were still some of the people running amok up there. And they went up and invited them. And people came from Ephraim and Manasseh and some of the other tribes. And they're all worshiping together. These one-time enemies are worshiping God. And after seven days, it was so joyful that they said, we want to do another seven days. And so... King Hezekiah brought more sacrifices, and they made more sacrifices to God. The sacrificial system was back in place. We know that all the burnt offerings and the sin offerings all point to the Lord, and they celebrate for 14 days, and it was a, just a mountaintop experience, and what an incredible, joyful thing, and it came to an end at the end of last week. Now, when we're going through times like this, we're having like mountaintop experiences with the Lord, or you go to a retreat, maybe you've been to a retreat, maybe you've been on a missions trip, and God has just really met you there, and you really don't want to leave. I just want to hang out here. I don't want to go home, because when I do, I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to get distracted again. You know, the, the remote control is going to take my attention or whatever it is. And so there's this heart and this desire to remain. But guys, when we have intimate fellowship with the Lord, we need to be able to take the Lord home with us. Amen? Amen. So Hezekiah, in the first month, what did he do? He, re he fixed the, te the temple. In the second month, he reestablished Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He has only been king a very, very short amount of time. And by the grace of God, the most wicked king has almost become a memory. God's not done yet, though. So now you've got this crowd that is excited about the Lord. They've been worshiping God. I mean, they've never observed Passover in their lifetime. They're just so incredibly blessed. They're singing to Almighty God. They've been reunited with some of their, you know, common people up in Israel who are also part of God's chosen people. And now they got to go home. Now they got to move on with life. Now they got to live for the Lord, live for Almighty God, not just when they're with uh, everybody else in the temple. It says this at, back in verse 23 of the last chapter. It says, Then the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days, and they kept it another seven days with gladness. And then verse 26 says, So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Israel. So by the grace of God and his faithful servant Hezekiah, worship of the true and living God and the joy of the Lord had returned to Judah and again now it's time to see if they can take it home into everyday life. And that's an exhortation for not only them, but for all of us. By the way, do you have an extra outline? I gave mine away. I don't have it memorized. <laughs> I gave mine to the guys back in the back. So I tell the message, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And, and then I put underneath it, doing it with your whole heart. Guys, as believers, we shouldn't be, you know, be hot or cold. If you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. 
As believers, Jesus shouldn't just be, you know, a part of our life. He is our life. He's not the top priority of our life. He's number one, number five, number 10, number 50, and every number in between. He is the entire list. He's just not on the top of the list. It's about having not just a religion where we show up on Christmas and Easter or, we, or once or twice a month when it's convenient and we kind of you know, have a relationship with the Lord over here, but we have 10 things more important than him, our career, a relationship over here, maybe a hobby that we have. And we have things that we make more of a priority than him. And so my, these applications from tonight's text, I tell the message, seek ye first the kingdom of God. First, by taking the Lord home with you. So they've been in this mountaintop experience. They've been hanging out at the temple for two weeks. They're feasting. They're making sacrifices. They're seeing the, the sacrifice, the clouds of the sacrifice going into the air, the fire of God, the altar, worship. And now they got to go home and they got to take it with them. So by taking the Lord home with you, you've heard me say, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen. If we come here on Sunday, we're excited about the Lord and we go to work and nothing ever changes, again, we should be able to take the Lord with us wherever we go. Taking inventory of things that take up residence in our lives. So we're going to see this in verse 1, that when they go home or when they're heading home, we're going to see what they do within the land. And it's something that all of us need to do, take inventory of our own walk. Now look, we're not saved by good works, right? We're saved by faith. And it's the grace of God that saves us. But as believers, we should desire to live holy and set apart lives. Been justified, being sanctified till the day we're glorified. Well, one of the things that happens, the closer you get to the Lord, the more there are going to be things in your life that you're not happy about, that you're going to be grieved by, that you'll want to remove from your home. We're going to see them doing that in verse 1. And removing those things that are ungodly and dishonor the Lord. So by taking the Lord home with you. By number two, by walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. You know, again, God wants more than Sundays and Thursday nights. For some of us, he wants us to return to our first love. Making the Lord the priority and passion of your life above all else. Number three, by faithfully giving for the furtherance of the gospel. Most of you have been here, you're here on a Thursday night, you know here at Calvary Chapel, we don't even pass an offering, it's just not something we do. Nothing wrong with that, a lot of churches do it, and that's certainly fine. But here we have a conviction that God loves a cheerful giver. And when you pass a bucket, a lot of times people feel led to tip God. Well, I don't want to look like a heathen, so let me find something to throw in this thing when it comes by. But God really loves a cheerful giver. Not giving because you have to, but giving because you want to. And again, if you've been at this church any length of time, we talk about giving when it's in the text. And we know that where God guides, God provides. And here's what I will say about giving as we will look at it. What we invest in reflects where our heart is. And when we give to things that outlast this life, when we have a priority and a passion to see people saved, we will give to things that minister to people and bring glory to the Lord. So do not muzzle the ox that treads the grain, and where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In those days, what had happened, all the Levites were gone because nobody was giving. And so they couldn't support themselves. So that, I mean, they couldn't just, you know, live without anything. So they had to go get jobs. So what happened was the temple was vacated. There's no priest there. It was only boarded up and shut up, but then now the people that serve there, so they're all gone. And so because nobody gave, nobody served. And because nobody served, nobody could worship. Because nobody worshiped, depravity ran amok. And so, again, the Apostle Paul said, you know, I'll make tents my whole life. I would rather not have anybody stumble by the fact that I'm getting paid to do my job. These are paraphrases, right? For 35 years, that was me. As most of you know, about four months ago, I became full-time at the church. Now, again, we need to give so that people that feed us spiritually can survive physically. Amen? But we want to do that from a cheerful heart. You should never do it under compulsion. Uh, As Pastor Joshua always says, we're not going to put you in an arm bar and make you give. We don't want to do that. And God will provide, and God is faithful. But when, God, when the kingdom is first, we want to give to things that will outlast this life for things that are eternal. Number four, by giving, by being good stewards of all the Lord gives us. So God has given every one of you gifts. If you're born again, if you're a new creation in Christ, 
God called you, he saved you, he redeemed you, he forgave you, he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life, he gave you the Holy Spirit as a down payment on heaven, and he has given you gifts. And the way the body of Christ functions best is when everybody or, the, or most of the people are using the gifts they've been given for the kingdom of God. I may have a gift you don't have, you may have a gift I don't have. I may be able to minister to you in some way, and there may be some, a way that you can minister to me that maybe nobody else can. And so as we are seeking first the kingdom of God, we want to be good stewards of all the Lord has given us. We want to make sure we're accountable and faithful. To, we don't want to parable the talents, right? One guy gets five, he turns it into 10. One gets two, turns it into four. The person that gets one goes and buries it in the ground. And then when the master comes back, he just gives it back to him. He goes, you don't, I, don't want, I didn't give it to you so you could give it back to me. I gave it to you so you could use it for my glory. And then finally, serve the Lord with your whole heart. Do everything you do as unto the Lord. Give God your first fruits, your very best, not the leftovers. So let's begin there in verse 1, looking at seek ye first the kingdom of God by taking the Lord home with you. And it says, now when all this was finished, what all was finished? I just told you for 10 minutes. <laughs> the worship. The time of, of feast, the, you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, two weeks of rejoicing, worship back in the temple, sacrifices being made, joyful place. They're singing at the top of their lungs. Instruments are being played loud. God's being glorified, and now they got to leave. After one week, they convinced King Hezekiah, let's do it another week. But now they got to go home. Now they got to come down from that mountaintop experience. Now they got to go back out into the world that at that time was filled with idolatry, that was filled with uh, moral depravity, that was surrounded by a mighty enemy coming down from the north. So what are they going to do? And here, because here's what happens. Let's be honest. Sometimes there's a special thing. I have this happen to me a lot. There's a special thing where you just know the Lord speaking to you. Can I get an amen to that? You're, you're praying and you just feel like the Lord is prompting you. Uh, you're in the word and a verse just jumps off the page and the Lord convicts you. And a lot of times that will happen in church. It'll happen in your prayer time, but it could happen in here tonight. And we could really feel like the Lord speaking to us. But then we get in it. We, we walk out after church is over. We grab a couple tacos. We walk down the hill. We get into our car, our phone rings. We drive home. By the time we get home, we've lost sight of what the Lord was speaking to us. And so the exhortation was, look, God spoke mightily to you, and I want you to watch. They're going to do something before they even get home. They're not going to go home. The Lord has spoken to them. They have a burden in their hearts to go out and do something in light of the fact that God has grabbed a hold of their hearts. They're worshiping the true and living God again. This no longer shut down. Praise and worship. We're back in the center of his will. Praise God. So what do they do? Look what it says. It says... Now when it finished, all Israel who were present, so these are some from the north that were their enemies who had come down, went out to the cities of Judah and broke the sacred pillars in pieces and cut down the wooden images and threw down the high places from the altars from all of Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. So what did they do? They heard from the Lord and they went out and went after all that was ungodly. They went after the false gods of this world. They went to some of the very gods they had been worshiping and tore them down, destroyed them, removed them. I love the languages. I love the language that he used here, uses here. He talks about, you know, in some very clear ways. He said he broke, then cut down, and then threw down. Again, he took away the in chapter 30, they took away the altars that were in Jerusalem. Now they're going out to all of Judah and into Israel. And everywhere they go, they're removing the false gods of this world. And praise the Lord that they're responding. They didn't just have a mountaintop experience and go home and live the same life. They cut down the wooden images. They threw down the high places and altars. They took aggressive action to remove all that was contrary to a holy walk with the Lord. So we too, 
as we walk in intimate fellowship with God, just as they walked throughout Judah and the surrounding lands in Israel and Benjamin, when they would see something that they knew was contrary to the worship of the true and living God, they didn't mess around. I can just almost see them going in, in groups and going up to an idol and just busting that thing into pieces and breaking it down and, and then going to the next one and chopping that one down. And you can just see them as they're going out, they're bringing an end to all this idolatry that takes away from the true and the living God. And you know what? We too, as we walk in intimate fellowship, need to take inventory of the things we've allowed to take residence in our lives. Our lives consistent, consisting in our day-to-day with who we are in Christ. Who we are in Christ should be evident 24 hours a day. Not just Sunday morning, not just Thursday night, just, not just at certain moments, not just when we're praying, but when we're in the grocery store, everywhere we go. And again, conviction is a good thing. And it comes from the Holy Spirit, and it will bring conviction so that we will respond in a way that brings glory and honor to the Lord. And he will speak to us. And again, I'm not saying that it's all the same in everyone's life, but when I first, uh, part of my testimony is I've been walking with the Lord, but I never thought I'd be a pastor. And then I had a head-on collision with the Lord while I was sitting in the parking, uh, park and ride in Acton. And I went home. I, felt, I believe that was the first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I was in my early 20s. I went home and I just said, I, I mean, within the next couple of days, I said to my wife, we need to get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of that. We don't need that anymore. That's no bueno. Let's get rid of that. And my, my wife was like, whoa. You know, and I had friends who said, well, you were saved before, but you're like really saved now. And just what happened was there were things that used to entertain me that I didn't find entertaining anymore. There, were, there was music that I listened to that wasn't necessarily horrible, but it wasn't honoring to God, so I didn't want it anymore. There were you know, priorities and passions in my life that needed to take a back seat because God comes first, amen? And so this is what they were doing. They were going through the land and saying, this doesn't honor God, it's got to go. This is dishonoring to the Lord, let's remove it. And so guys, I pray when the Lord speaks to you, when the Lord's ministering to your heart, when he's convicting you about something, don't wait a month to act on it. Don't wait three weeks. Really, don't wait three minutes if you don't have to. And that's what these guys are doing. I just love this. They come down from Jerusalem because Jerusalem's up on top of a hill. And as they come down, I could just see them spreading out and just imagine the eyes of the people who had not gone to fellowship, seeing what they were doing. They broke it, they cut it down, they threw it down. You know, it's, uh, in the Bible it says, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. And what that means is, there's no step too drastic to put away something that causes you to sin. If it's causing you to sin, if it's causing you to stumble, I've had people struggling with porn. And they're like, yeah, you know, it's hard for me. I'm like, okay. And by the way, that's a lot of people, amen? And a lot of times what I'll say is, give me your phone. Oh, I can't give you my phone. Dude, right now, that's your right eye. I need to pluck that thing out. Can I get an amen to that? Where are you watching it? Whatever that sin is, there's, if you struggle with drugs and alcohol, whatever you struggle with, if you struggle with alcohol, don't go to the bar with your friends. Just run from it, amen? And so that's the exhortation here is, look, if there are things that you're allowing to be around you and you're accommodating them as they did these altars, and it's been 200 years since the Passover, and it's been at least... Uh, 25 years since anybody worshiped, and now it's time to get right with God. And so I love that picture. They took the Lord home with them. And again, as they walked through Judah all the way to, to Israel, everywhere they went, when they saw a false God, they just removed it. Lord, help us to remove the false gods from our lives. Amen? And by the way, a false God doesn't have to be anything that's inherently evil. When I was a young man, I, I was really young because look at me now, right? But when I was a young man, I, for about four or five years, was an absolute workout fanatic. And for a while, I, I did competitive bench press. As soon as I got done with college, uh, you know, I was real competitive, played college football. So I wanted something competitive to do. And it, was, it wasn't ungodly by itself, but it was in the sense that it became more important than it should have been. Does that make sense? Even that which is good can be the enemy of that which is, is best. And so for me, I 
kind of had to walk away from it because I was working out six hours a day, five, six days a week, and I was all about it, and it just was too much. And so those are idols, those altars in our lives where, you know, I, you know there's people play video games 12 hours a day. I'm thinking that's an, an, an idol, amen? There's things that we can get caught up in, and, you know, we, we've watched 27 hours of Netflix this week, and we've read two verses in our Bible. There are certain things that need to be put aside so that we seek first the kingdom of God. So point number one there, by taking the Lord home with you. If Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Taking inventory of the things we're allowed to take up residence in our own lives. And by the way, my conviction may be different than yours. Amen? And so if I'm convicted and I don't do it, then I'm in sin, even though it may not be written down as a sin in the Bible. Because when the Holy Spirit speaks to me, I need to obey him. Amen? So I know some people that have, so I know people that if you have, they think if you have a TV, you're, you're probably not saved, right? And again, it is a window into hell in the corner of your living room, and there's a lot of bad stuff that comes in there, right? But I have a TV because I do love sports, all right? So some might say to me, you pagan, vile individual, what are you doing with that television, right? But I may have a conviction that the person that doesn't watch television doesn't have, and so we need to be each just be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't be self-righteous. Here's what, here's what legalism is. When I make my personal conviction essential for your salvation, amen? As soon as I say, well, wait a minute, God's convicted me. If you don't do it, you're not going, well, that's not the case. So what we see here is they all came together. They saw the things that were evil in the land and together they remove them. Point number two, by walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. Look at verse two. And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites according to their divisions, each man according to his service. The priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to serve, to give thanks, to praise in the gates and the camp of the Lord. The king also appointed a portion of his possessions for the burnt offerings, for the morning and evening burnt offerings, the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths, the new moons, and the set feast, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Now, what is he doing? He's making sure that worship and sacrifices continue, because they hadn't been for many decades. Passover hadn't been for 200 years. So what does he do? He establishes, brings the priests back, brings the Levites back to serve in the temple, donates the animals initially that they need to start making sacrifices again. See, one of the things we want to do is we, we don't want to just have that thing where we run in, we have this intimate time with the Lord, and then we walk out, and then we go live our life. And then that intimate time may not come again for days, weeks, or months, or years. And so what he's doing is he's putting everything in place so that intimacy during that 14-day feast and that worship that was taking place would not end. We want this to continue. Have you ever been, again, have you ever been so close to the Lord you didn't want to move? And we want to walk in intimate fellowship with God, not just in a mountaintop experience, but every day of the week. And so I love Hezekiah here. He's making sure that the daily attending to the spiritual needs of the people would be taken care of, and the people that were called to do that were the priests and the Levites. Now, the Levites, quick reminder, when they went into the land of promise after being delivered out of bondage in Egypt, and then because they didn't enter in the first time out of fear of the spies, the spies went in, they feared the giants in the land, so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, then they finally enter in, and when they did, there were 12 tribes. But only 11 tribes were given an inheritance. And the one tribe, the Levites, were given no inheritance in the land. And God said to the Levites, basically, I am going to be your inheritance. And what I, if you have land, you're going to be distracted. If you're farming or you have a ranch, you're going to be focused more on that, and you're not going to really faithfully serve in the places where we need people to serve. So their entire tribe was set apart for serving the Lord full-time. This is what you do. Now, some of them served in practical ways. Some of them were priests and made sacrifices. Why all priests are Levites, not all Levites are priests, but they all were called to serve faithfully. So their inheritance had no inheritance on earth. They didn't have any land, but they were called by God 
to live their lives for the Lord. And so walking in intimate fellowship with God required that the sacrifices would continue. That could only take place as if somebody was serving. It could only take place for worship if somebody was leading worship, if somebody was playing instruments, if somebody's making sacrifice. So the Lord set apart people so that the people that were farming and having ranches and fighting in the military and, and shopkeepers in the city would have those who could bring them to a place of worship and being in the presence of Almighty God. The heart here of this entire section is to go beyond just visiting the Lord, just being religious. I don't ask people even anymore, I even don't even say, are you a believer anymore? I used to always say, are you a believer? And I still, I guess I still do. But here's what I love to ask people. Where are you at with Jesus? Where are you at with Jesus? Because you can believe in anything, but Jesus is the answer, amen? And people, we need to, again, and here's what happens. We've got people that believe in God or they're spiritual. We've got the CEO Christians, right? Christmas and Easter only. Yeah, and, and, and we're glad when they come and praise God that they do. But as believers, we should hunger and thirst for the things of God. We should desire to know him better and better and better. And again, it's when we have that intimate fellowship with the Lord that God speaks to us through his word, impresses us by the leading of the Holy Spirit, and the proper action is to go out and do what God has called to do. So what were the priestly duties? They burnt offerings, they served, they gave thanks, and there was praise in the gates. Notice it says there in verse uh, 3 that talks about the camp of the Lord. And when they're there, the king also appointed portions of the camp of the Lord, verse 2. Camp of the Lord is speaking of the temple and the area that surrounds it. And the king appointed some of his own stuff. So here's the king who believes in it and he invests in it. So one thing to say that we believe what God is doing is important. And it's another thing to invest in it. And exactly what the king does. Verse 4. Then it says, moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites, that they might devote themselves for the law of the Lord. As soon as the commandment was circulated, and the children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grain and wine, oil and honey, of all the produce of the field, and they brought in abundance the tithe of everything. When the children of Israel entered again the land of promise, these guys were set apart for holy use. He, and King Hezekiah is reestablishing that. If we're going to have them faithfully make it so you can go worship every day. So there's a place where you can go and offer daily sacrifices. A place where you can go, we'll see later, be taught the word of God. If that place is going to exist, we have to have people there. And if they're trying to farm their lands and do that at the same time, they're going to be conflicted. And there's not going to be people fully devoted, not somebody always entering into prayer, people going in and maintaining the temple, the golden lampstand, the table of showbread, you know, the sacrifices that go on day by day. So we need people fully devoted to that. So the way that those people can be fully devoted to that are the other 11 tribes who do have lands, who do have cattle, who do have crops. And for them to come and give so that those who are called to serve faithfully full-time are able to do so. God called the Levites to be fully focused on the spiritual needs of the nation. Owning, developing, and farming land would be a distraction. Worrying and tending to the crops or the livestock would take them away from the work of the ministry. And again, the other 11 tribes he said, I will give you the land, bless you in the land, so much so that you'll be able to give support to those who will serve you spiritually. So they called to farm could farm. Those called to serve the Lord full time could serve the Lord full time. So because we faithfully give, then there are those that can serve the Lord faithfully full time. So during the apostasy of Ahaz, the temple had been shut down. There was no support for the Levites. The Levites figuring out ways to support themselves. They no longer focused on serving the Lord because there was no giving. The Levites, again, were not even available. And so what happened? Worship went away. Now, we should be able to worship as individuals, but we understand the point that God has called some people 
to lead and to be uh, you know, servant leaders. Under the law of Moses and Numbers, they were commanded to fulfill their obligation again and to serve faithfully the Lord. When an Israelite failed to give a tithe, the Bible says that they were robbing God. It says this in Malachi 3. When we give, we're not giving to the pastor. We're not giving to the church. We're giving to the Lord. Amen? My grandmother, been in heaven quite a while. She lived to be 94, loved Jesus. She lived out in 29 Palms. You guys know where that is? You go to nowhere and drive another two hours, right? So way out there. We'd go visit her all the time. And she lived in this little house way out in 29 Palms, so far away from everything. And because she was older, she couldn't really go to church. So she only got a couple of TV stations. And one of them was TBN, the Trinity Broadcast Network, where they have some people that don't believe in the Trinity. But there was some real flim-flam guys on that station. And when I came to visit my grandmother one time, and she lived on a very tight... My, my grandfather was a veteran, and, and he had passed away, and she just lived kind of very tightly, but she have all these envelopes and she's sending money to guys that I would say are absolutely false prophets. Now, I truly believe that God blessed her because she didn't know any better. She was giving to the Lord. And then those guys who were getting the money are going to be accountable to Almighty God. Amen? Now, that being said, we should, if we're going to give to a ministry, we should want to give to a ministry that we believe is fruitful. I encourage you to give to ministries that minister to you. Amen? So if ministries minister to you and you see what God is doing, then we give to that. But I also want to encourage you, because I know some people that are bummed out, like, I gave all this money to this ministry and I found out the guy was a crook. God will deal with him. But once you know the guy's a crook, don't give him any more. Amen? Again, some today also think that the, thought, the, the, the tithe, since it went to support the Levites, uh, you know, that now it's covered by, like, by our taxes or something. And the reality is people struggle as to whether or not tithing is in the New Testament. Well, really the New Testament is giving. And we're going to see when you give, when we give, we should give uh, regularly, planned, proportionate, and privately. Okay? And so what that means is, again, and if you don't want to give, that's between you and the Lord, and please know that that's fine. And by the way, I do not know who gives what? And I, never, and, I, and I certainly won't ever on purpose, okay? Because my heart has always been, I've been a pastor 35 years, that I don't want to fall into the trap that, that they were warned of, that if you knew that somebody was a big giver or something, even in the back of your mind, you might treat them a little different. I don't want to do that. So you don't have to worry about if you've never given ever, and I, okay. And I don't, I'm not worried about that, amen? Now, but those of us who do want to give, I do believe that the Bible teaches we should give on a regular basis. I've, I've told you guys this story many times. One more won't kill you. When I was a little kid, my dad was a Baptist pastor. My, 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 I'm old. My allowance was 25 cents a week. So I got two dimes and a nickel. And then when I would go to church, they would pass that little white uh, church with the slot on the top. And I'd drop my nickel in. So my dad taught me, give to God first, save second, live on the rest. And I have literally done that my entire, I learned that at four years old. And so the first thing we do is give. The second thing we do is save. And then we learn to live on the rest. And we've lived that way, my wife and I, for 38 years. And so when we give, we want to give to things that we know are fruitful. We want to give God our, our, our best, not the rest. Give him the first fruits. But again, uh, proportionate a lot of people like to use 10% as starting point. There's people that 10% sounds outrageous, and there's other people that 10% doesn't, isn't enough. And that's between them and the Lord. And I'm certainly not going to be legalistic or tell you what you should do, but here's what I would say. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever is your priority and passion of your life, I, I knew a guy a while back, and, and he had every single uh, sports package you could get. I mean, he had all of them. And I'm like, what do you pay for that? Oh, it's about 1,500 bucks a year by the time I'm done. I'm like, wow. And I didn't say anything, but I thought, man, I wonder if he's spending so much money on sports packages, he doesn't have money to give to the Lord, right? And we just need to be careful that, again, if you've been coming to our church any length of time, you know this is not something I focus on, but that's what we're in. We're in this text right now. And he's talking about giving 
And I think also it should be proportionate. Uh, whatever, whatever percentage God puts on your heart, give that. And then it should be private. The Bible says the right hand should know what the left hand is doing. You ever notice how a lot of like celebrities will give and they'll take out a four-page thing in the newspaper or somewhere talking about all the money they just gave? Because they're really giving more for the, the, the pats on the back than they are for whatever they're giving to. Guys, when we give to the Lord, it's between us and the Lord. Amen? And you know what? The widow's might. She came up and gave out of her lack, and the other guys came forward and gave, you know, a thousand times more than she did, and he, he said she gave more than all of them because she gave out of her lack. And so I just would encourage us that as we give, we give to ministries that bless us, we give to things that we believe are honoring to the Lord, and we make that a priority in our lives. God doesn't need your money. He just wants your heart. Amen? Will God get as much done whether you give or not give your whole life? What's the answer? Absolutely. And here's for me, giving is an act of worship. I just, I love to give. And you know what? You can't outgive God. I know that gets abused. You know what I mean? Well, you got to put in your seed offering and then you got to say Cadillac, Cadillac and I'll be in your drive. None of that nonsense, right? We don't, we don't give to manipulate God. He's not the holy Santa Claus in the sky. That's not what we're doing. Amen. But here we see that because they gave, then the Levites could be fully devoted. Then worship could take place all the time. People were available for prayer. People were available to teach the word of God. People were available for counseling, whatever it might be. They were available. And the reason they could be available is because the other 11 tribes continued to give. If you're thinking in your heart, how little can I give and still be pleasing to God? Your heart's not in the right place. Amen? I've had guys debate me on it. They'll go, well, you know, I just think a lot of the money gets wasted. I said, bro, then don't give. Don't give. And well, the church I go to in Alabama, man, they do this and this. Don't give then. You just tell, you're a pastor. You told me, don't give. If you can't give with a cheerful heart, don't give. Amen? Amen. It's a get to, not a have to. And I love to give. Notice that it says, so they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. This reminds me of another duty of the Levites beyond what was mentioned earlier, the study and teaching of the word of God. I'm probably going to get emotional. I can't tell you how blessed I am. I just, I, I, right now, I've got to confess to you, I don't know how I did both for 35 years. It was never an issue for me. And now I look back and think, how in the world did I do that? How did I work 50 to 60 hours a week and then study 50 to 60 hours a week and have counseling sessions and do all the, and, and, and be married and my wife still love me? How does all that work? And I look back and now what's amazing is I'm as busy as I've ever been, but all of it is for the kingdom of God. And that's a blessing. And I would not be able to do that if you guys didn't faithfully give. So God bless you. And I want you to know I absolutely appreciate it. And my heart is that, here's my heart. If you call me, I answer my phone. Okay? If it's 3.30 in the morning, I will answer my phone. I'm here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. Amen? Pastor means servant. And we've got a bunch of servants in this church. Amen? And we just, our heart is, let's give so that others may focus on ministering to us. And again, then it says in verse 5, as soon as the commandment was circulated, they gave. These people, as soon as they said, hey, we have a need, what happened? People were coming out of the weeds. We're going to see in the next few verses, there was so much stuff, they had piles of it. They literally had piles of stuff because people just wanted to give. We've got a, we've got a walk for life with Ohana coming up on September 30th. What do they do? They protect the most innocent among us. We should go to that. If we can't walk, let's give to that. Can I get an amen to that? Let's give to things like that. Let's give to things that are eternal. When we're, when we're given opportunity to give, let's give above and beyond. Don't look for excuses as to why we should not give, but give abundantly and give what belongs to the Lord. By the way, how much of your stuff belongs to God? All of it. I'm wearing God's shoes, God's shirt, driving God's car, living in God's house. Amen. And so I love you. I love, man, I'll tell you what, I am so blessed on Wednesday nights when I see the college group in my living room, the young adults. I love it. I, I, I love baptizing people in the jacuzzi in my backyard. I mean, it's God's house. Let's use it all for his glory. Amen? All belongs to the Lord. 
So point number two there, by walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord, making the Lord the priority and passion of your life, returning to your first love. And then again, by faithfully giving for the furtherance of the gospel. Look what it says there. And the children of Israel, verse six, and Judah who dwelt in the cities of Judah brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, also a tithe of the holy things, which were consecrated to the Lord, their God. They laid in heaps. In the third month, they began laying them in heaps. And they finished in the seventh month. So for four months, they just kept bringing stuff. We have a need for the temple so we can reestablish the daily worship and the daily sacrifices. So people are bringing sacrifices. People are bringing things that can help sustain the Levites and the priests and make sure that their families are cared for. And it just keeps coming. We've seen it actually in scripture where there comes a point where they tell people to stop giving because you've given so much we can't handle it anymore. Verse 8, and when Hezekiah and the leaders came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. When they saw that people had a heart to give, they praised God. Because the desire to give doesn't come from us, it comes from the Lord. Amen? He's the one that prompts us, we disobey. And to him be all the praise and the glory and the honor. And this is why the right hand should know what the left hand is doing. Because then we're going to, you know, act like we did something amazing. I remember my dad was a Baptist pastor. And there was this little old lady that was always kind of tenacious about things should be done different in the church. And when she would get upset about not getting her way, she'd pull out her little tithe book. And open it up and say, you see that number on the bottom? That's how much money I've given to this church. So you need to listen to me. Here's my record of all the stuff I've given. This church would probably collapse without me. Who needs Jesus? I got me to give. You know that mentality, right? And the reality is, I'll be honest with you, I don't care what you give. That's between you and the Lord. Amen? And God provides and God is faithful. From the day this church started, when we had, this is so funny, the first service we had like 150 people. You know all the well-wishers show up the first Sunday? And then the next week you find out who that's really in the church is like 20 people. God's always provided and he will always provide. Where God guides, God provides. Amen? He's a faithful God. So all these tithes are coming in, and they begin laying them in heaps. They bless the Lord, both for giving such plentiful provisions of the land for the year, but also for having people moved to support the ministry. Then verse 9, then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. Now, I love Hezekiah because this guy's a man of order. And so when he sees the heaps, he's like, now, wait a minute. What's this about? Can you imagine if you came here next Sunday and there was a heap of like gold coins in the corner and dollar bills on that side and clothing, and we just threw it in heaps and left it there? Well, that's, Hezekiah's like, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. This is God's stuff. We got to take good care of this. We need to be good stewards of it. Just because the giving was in abundance didn't mean that they could waste any of it. Amen? They need to be good stewards of all of it. When I was at Calvary San Jose, our church was very large. And people would come to the church during the day and just go, well, this is a big church. You got tons of stuff. I need $1,000 for a new transmission. And I don't go to church here. Yeah, no, we're not doing that. But there was a mentality that, well, if you have a lot, then, well, again, Good stewards, whether you've got 50 cents in your pocket or you've got $5 million, we want to be good stewards. And so Hezekiah, he sees this, we're going to see in coming verses, that he wants to make sure that whatever is given to the Lord, there's accountability. And then whatever's given to the Lord is used properly. And there needs to be that. By the way, if you give here and you ever want to look at our books anytime you want, you can do it anytime you want. We've got nothing to hide. It's all the Lord's and we're accountable for it. Amen. Now watch what happens in verse 10. It says, Then Azariah the chief priest from the house of Zadok answered him and said, Since the people began to bring the offerings into the house of the Lord, we've had enough to eat and plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people, and what is left is great abundance. Look, the people have given so much, we have heaps left over. And we don't know what to do with it. Now Hezekiah, being a godly king, who made the service of the Lord the priority, and now the tearing down of the altars, he also wants to make sure that those things that were given to the Lord would be, would be uh, again, properly cared for. Now, notice that the priests and the Levites had starved, or they were out working their own job, and they had abandoned what they were called to do. But now, because people are faithfully giving, 
They're back doing what they've been called to do. Now watch in verse 11, point number four there, by being good stewards of all that God gives you. So they've been given a great deal. By the way, we're Americans. We're richer than 99% of the world. Amen? We may not be rich compared to people in Beverly Hills or whatever. There may be people that are way more wealthy than us, but a lot of the world, you'll look up nations where the, the annual earnings is $200 a year. They don't even know what electricity looks like. They don't, they, they don't know where their next meal is coming from. We're so incredibly blessed, amen? We have more than enough. Now watch what happens here. Again, being a good steward, it said, Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. Then they faithfully brought in the offerings and the tithes and the dedicated things. And Koinoniah, the Levite, had charge of them. And Shemai, Shemai, his brother, was next. Jehel, Azariah, Nahath, Azahel, Jeremoth, Josabad, Eliel, uh, Issamachiah, Mahath, and Benaniah were overseers under the hand of Koinoniah and Shemai, his brother, at the commandment of Hezekiah the king and Azariah the ruler of the house of God. So what did he do? He put people over these finances and over these resources to make sure they were used for the kingdom of God, to make sure they were used for the glory of God, to make sure there was accountability and people weren't doing things with those things that shouldn't be done. Here at our church, uh, maybe you don't know who all our elders are. The elders here and pastors interchangeable. It's myself, Pastor Tim, Pastor Joshua, Pastor Mark Schwartz, who teaches the Foundations of Faith class, uh, uh, Pastor Tony Logan from Godspeak, and my senior pastor, Pastor John Snodderly. I like to have outside pastors who've been pastoring a long time, who can take a look at what we are doing and give us uh, an outside perspective. I serve on the board of Calvary Chapel, Antelope Valley. I'm that outside eye for them, the place where I, again, had, uh, was ordained. Pastor Brent Hebert is also going to become one of our pastoral lines. So what do we do? We look at the resources, we see what's been given, and we want to make sure we're being good stewards of that. Um, Mike Beck was the person handling the actual financial stuff. Now that's going to be Jeff. And so we have people that that's what they do for a living. They know how to take good care of it. We want to be good stewards of it. And as I said, you can, you can see what's in there anytime you want, okay? So we want to be faithful and we want to be good stewards of what God has given us. And, we, and that's true for the church, certainly, but it should also be true at home. Amen? Shouldn't we be good stewards of what God has given us? Shouldn't we use it for his glory and for his kingdom? And notice he, he gives all these guys. It's not just one guy. It's not two guys. He's got this group of people that are trustworthy to be faithful to keep an eye on the things that belong to the Lord. Notice it says there, um, verse 14, Kor, the son of Imna, the Levite, and the keeper of the east gate, was over the freewill offerings to God in, to distribute the offerings of the Lord and the most holy things. And umber, under him, Eden, Imenanam, Jeshua, Shimeiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah, his faithful assistants in the cities of the priests, to distribute allotments to their brethren, by divisions to the great as well as to the small. So some of them, their, their job was they have to go out and take food to the priests and their families, as we're about to see. So people were, people were in charge of counting it, making sure it was stored properly, and then he had others who distributed it. And so it, it, it blows my mind how flippant some Churches and some Christians can be with their finances. I promise you that's not how it is here. We know where every nickel goes. We want to be good stewards. We, you know, and by the way, if you don't know, we give to Ohana. We give to Bayamba. We have a church plant uh, in uh, Perube, I think it's called, uh, Peruibi in uh, Brazil. Uh, and we have other ministries that we give to. We give to people in our fellowship that are struggling financially and going through a tough time. You know, we, we, we are on the radio. We have... We pay for the rent here. I mean, there's just a, we pay for Bibles, right? Uh, some, a couple of the pastors have a housing allowance, and I'm full-time at the church. So those things all come, and those things are all being used 
for the glory of God. And you should be able to know where they're going. So we want to be accountable to that. And we see that here in the text. We're all accountable for what we do with God's resources. Again, churches and their leaders are responsible for what they do. And again, none of it belongs to us. We're all called to be good stewards. Amen? Verse 16 says there, besides these males from three years old, and up were written in the genealogy. They distributed to everyone who entered the house of the Lord his daily portion for the work of the service by his division. And to the priests who were written in the genealogy according to their father's house, and to the Levites from 20 years old and up according to their work by their division. So there were from 20 years and above that were being supported. And they were able to serve in a priestly role. But notice it says from three years old and up, they're provided for. There were those that, like, uh, Hannah had a son. What was his name? Samuel. How, was, how old was he when he went to serve in the temple? He was a baby. He'd just been weaned, so he was little. Three, four years old, I don't know. But so he's serving in the temple, and he's being provided for because he's faithfully serving. And so that's what this is talking about here. Again, it also talks about here the rest of the verse down there, verse 17. It says, they were written in the genealogy, verse 18. And to all who were written in the genealogy, their little ones, their wives, their sons and daughters, the whole company of them, for the faithfulness, they sanctified themselves in holiness. So when we give, we don't want to just give barely enough so the pastor barely makes it and his wife and his kids starve. Amen. On churches where before I was full-time here, just recently, I was always, you know, one of the guys that helped decide what people should be paid. And again, we, we should make sure that they can eat, make sure that their kids can be clothed, we, and they should not be in it for the money. Every pastor I've ever met in my life that went full-time took a huge pay cut. Every single one. So you don't go in ministry to get wealthy, but if people are doing full-time ministry, we should provide for them and their wives and their children. Amen. I've told you when I was little, the Baptist church my dad pastored, they paid him $311 a month. And I didn't realize till years later just how incredibly poor that we were. We would run out of food every month. I couldn't play sports when I was a kid. Again, nobody died. We got through it, right? But there are people that want to starve people that serve. And my heart is whenever somebody is serving, we want to make, again, you should, be able, you should pay for their food, clothing, and shelter, but not their Learjet. <laughs> Can I get an amen to that? We want, to, we want to care for people. In Santa Cruz, we had a pretty good-sized staff, and I would always say, look, I want to pay these guys enough so they can, they're not having to scoop ice cream on Saturdays and work two overnight shifts at FedEx to make sure their kids can eat. Amen? If we can't properly provide for them, then we shouldn't even bring them on staff. Does that make sense? And so he's saying here, look, the giving is done, and for everybody serving, we're going to take care of them, we're going to take care of their families, and we're going to do it the right way. Bible says we're not to muzzle the ox who tramples the grain. You know, an ox would walk on the grain and what it would do is it would crush it down so it could be used. It was like it would grind the grain. And what they would do sometimes is muzzle the ox because so he couldn't eat the grain he was walking on. And what they said is you don't muzzle the ox. He's the, he's the one grinding the grain. Let him have some of the grain so he doesn't starve. And so the same is true. And again, don't muzzle the ox, but also don't be buying him a Learjet. Amen? And then it says there in verse 19, also were the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the fields of the common lands of the cities in every single city. There were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to all the males among the priests, to all who listed by genealogies among the Levites. So there were those who collected it, those who stored it, those who counted it, and then those who made sure that the people that need it got it. And you know what? That's the body of Christ, isn't it? There are those who give... There are those who store it. There's those who take it and then we use it. And again, in ways, we won't know until we get to heaven. We did have a, about four or five months ago, we had a video from the church down in Brazil. And, and uh, I know the pastor there very, very well. I've known him. Him and my son went to Bible college together. And God's doing an amazing work down there. And it's a blessing that our little church pays their rent. And their church is, is, is blossoming. Praise God. Amen. And so, we want to be good stewards to make sure the things we give also bring glory and honor to the Lord. So the final point here is serve the Lord with your whole heart. Serve the Lord with your whole heart. Look what it says there in verse 20. Then 
Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and, uh, and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began, in the service of the house of God, in the law of the commandment to see God, he did with all his heart, so he prospered. Hezekiah's passion was not for political power or prestige, but was to wholeheartedly do what was good and right in the sight of the Lord. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Amen? And we want to do things that will impact eternity. We want to have lives that will have fruit beyond this lifetime. And we want to do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord, not giving the Lord half of what we, what we are, giving him our very, very best. It says David, in King David's exhortation, he says this, now set your heart and soul to seek the Lord your God. And then in 1 Chronicles 28, David says to his son, as for you, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the intent of your thoughts. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you, are, if you forsake him, he will, be cast, he will cast you off forever. What he's exhorting his son to do is don't just serve, the God, but serve God, but serve God with a joyful heart. Don't just give to the Lord, but give to the Lord with a joyful heart. Don't just kind of serve God when it's convenient, but be sold out and set apart and usable for the kingdom of God all the time. In every aspect, he was thoroughly excellent man, Hezekiah, saw his duty to God and to his people and performed it with great zeal and, and diligence. Here's what I notice, and I say this to our pastors all the time. We'll talk about a certain ministry or something somebody's doing, and I'll say, now when you look at that, what do you see? we say calling. Because when someone's called to do it, they do it with excellence. Amen? They come early. They're prepared. I never have to worry about the worship team being ready. I don't call anybody. You guys, make sure you got your songs ready. You guys all going to show up. Yeah. Why? Because they're called. Amen? Children's ministry, uh, men's ministry, women's ministry, overcomers, whatever. Guys, I know when it's scheduled, it's going to happen because the people that are doing it are going to show up. Amen? And when we're called to do something, we should do it as unto the Lord, as a get to and not a have to, and not do it halfway, but do it with our whole heart. And notice, because he was faithful to give his all, it says, so he prospered. His prosperity was evidence of the blessing of God, especially in connection with his own generosity and stewardship. He's been generous since the jump, and God just keeps blessing him. My good friend, Pastor Rob McCoy says, if God can get it through you, he'll get it to you. And what he means by that is somebody who's a, we're called to be conduits, not reservoirs, right? If God gives us something, he wants us to use it to minister to somebody else, not just to see how, much, you know, how big a pile of dirt we can have in our backyard, right? We want to use it for the kingdom of God and for his glory. You know, seek ye first the kingdom of God and do it with your whole heart. Do it with your whole heart. Now, I'm not going to teach anymore, but I want to read a couple verses because I want you to see what happens. So what's happening? Everything's great. Should be, should be a piece of cake now, right? We've got worships back. Sacrifices are back. Praising God is back. Prayer is back. Levites are back. Priests are back. Serving the Lord is back. Altars are torn down. We return the, the kingdom back to focusing on the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Almighty God's being worshiped. His name is being praised. People from Israel and Judah are coming back together. And so everything from now on should just be a piece of cake, right? Let me just read a few verses. We'll look at this next week. After these deeds, verse 30, chapter 2, of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and the commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Here's what's happening. It's amazing how sometimes when we're really pursuing the Lord, we're being used by God. Uh, we got the peace that God's got us doing what he's called us to do. We have joy of the Lord. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the enemy just shows up. 
Judah's in a place that hadn't been in maybe 200 years. God's the priority again. And what happens? Sennacherib and the Assyrians, the most vicious army on the earth that would decapitate people and leave all their heads outside the city to warn anybody else not to mess with them. And we're going to see that you've got to come next week because Sennacherib, this dude, as much as, as much as Hezekiah is godly, Sennacherib is a demonic man. He mocks the true and living God. He said, hey, we fought a bunch of other people and all their gods, they got their gods out. We smoked them all. Your God can't come against us. Ooh, next week, amen? So in closing, seek ye first the kingdom of God, doing what was right with your whole heart. Take the Lord home with you. My prayer is that when, I pray that when we walk into our home, we sense the presence of the Holy Spirit, amen? One of the things my wife does that I love, we have a Alexa or whatever, and she just leaves it on Christian music all day. It's just on all day. She goes, leaves her work, it's on all day. I just love Christian music playing in my house, amen? I love that we have scripture on the walls. I just love that, you know, we want to honor the Lord. Walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord, not knowing about him, but knowing him. Be faithful by faithfully giving for the furtherance of the gospel. Let's invest properly. Let's make sure we take care of our family. But let's also invest in that which is eternal. By being good stewards of all that God gives you. So God's giving you time, treasures, and talents. Let's use them for his kingdom and for his glory. And then serve the Lord with your whole heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. Lord, I know this isn't a subject we tackle a lot, but it's in the Bible for a reason. And Lord, we count it a privilege to serve you. We thank you, Lord, for all you've given us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, you've given us your son. You've given us eternal life. Lord, you've given us every breath that we breathe. Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would give to you from the depths of our hearts, that we would not be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives, that we would walk in intimate fellowship with you. I pray for everyone who's here tonight. May you bless them. May you strengthen them. May you encourage them. May you fill them with your Holy Spirit. When we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen.